Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 32 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and uh, Apple Podcasts? Yeah, no, it is plural. On Apple, <laughs> on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, everywhere you find good podcasts. And if you want to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, you can at This Is M Pod. Um, Jesus Christ, how many times have I done this? I can't fucking remember all the stuff I want to get to. I don't know. You can email us, find us on the website. Um, yada, yada, yada. Man, uh, episode 32 of the podcast. Um, you know, I feel... I feel two things. One, I feel I feel more focused than I did last week, at least when it comes to school. Um... I did something yesterday, which I'm kind of embarrassed to admit I haven't done, but um, now that classes are being done remotely, um, I sort of wake up like 30 minutes before my um, morning lecture starts, and I usually just sit there and listen to it in my pajamas, but I had a horrible night's sleep last night, and I think it has something to do with this. I don't know. know, On the one hand, I feel like I'm doing good, but I also feel like my anxiety is probably increasing more than it has over the last few weeks. And so what I mean is I, I woke up not really able to sleep. I worked late until after midnight, went to bed about one thirty, and I probably woke up at 5.30 with my mind racing, um, and um, which gave me plenty of time to shower, get dressed, and it was like I treated my lecture like I was just going to class. Do you know what I mean? I was ready 15 minutes early, I was dressed, and... Um, and I don't know if I don't know if it was because of that, but I ended up having a really productive day. You know, I did a ton of homework, I did a lot of studying. I got an exam coming up on Monday in math that, um, you know, I got to prepare for. And um, and so yeah, and I, I think part of that was just treating it like a normal day. Um, so I guess the good part of this week is generally I feel pretty pretty focused. And, um, I also picked up some extra work, so I have another regular shift. So, um, not a huge deal apropos of nothing, but I, you know, I feel like so many people are struggling right now and, and not just now it's, I I think part of my anxiety is really starting to begin to absorb the enormity of what the consequences of this whole shelter in place and, uh, coronavirus situation could be. Um, I was talking with my therapist about it and she was like, well, you know, I guess she follows it very closely. I don't follow the fucking news. Um, but she was saying that, you know, some people are predicting that next winter it could be even worse. Um, and until there's a vaccine, you know, what can people really do? And I think the most optimistic projections for that are 18 months. And... So, you know, having regular work and being able to work nearly full-time right now, you know, I'm scheduled 32 hours, and, um, excuse me, sorry, and uh, additionally, there are um, other opportunities to make money. I, I've been leading some training for, for uh, the new trainees at work, but the point of all that is I'm, I'm very lucky, and um, but I think, you know, beginning to really kind of not truly absorb, but begin to really think about what the long-term consequences of all this could be has me feeling anxious. And yeah, I, you know, I mentioned waking up at 5.30 and my mind was just going a mile a minute. That's kind of been normal. You know, I woke up this morning at my girlfriend's place and we were up pretty late. 
And actually, I'm wondering if I'm wondering if something's getting to my girlfriend also because normally when we watch television, she just like falls asleep right away. But lately, when we lay in bed, she'll watch like two or three episodes of something with me. And lately, it's been another one of these shitty dating shows. Um, and I call it shitty because I'm kind of apologizing for it. But I guess obviously because we're watching it, there's something about it we like. But it's called Married at First Sight. And uh, it's about people who literally go to like a dating agency and get matched with somebody based on their interests, their life goals, et cetera, et cetera. And they get matched with someone, a wedding date is set, and they literally meet them on their wedding day. So it's like a modern day arranged marriage. And that's like the beginning of the show. And then the rest of the series just follows these couples on their honeymoon, getting to know each other now once they're already married. And of course, me and my girlfriend... You know, there's like a running commentary um, alongside all these shows for us. Um, And, uh, I mean, it was kind of funny. I was asking, you know, I've mentioned my brother is uh, engaged to be married. Um, He and his fiance uh, were set to be married next month. But because of the whole coronavirus thing, they have canceled the ceremony plans. And I think their plans now are just once the shelter in place is lifted to get married at the courthouse and... Um, plan a ceremony when, you know, as soon as it's possible, you know, and and just kind of take it off the table for the time being. Uh, But I was mentioning, you know, probably in passing, they were like, hey, are you watching anything cool? Because everybody's so starved for entertainment these days. And they were saying, oh, I was probably saying, oh, yeah, we're watching the show Married at First Sight. And they're like, what's going on? Like, why are you watching all these? What's up with all these dating shows that you're watching? Like, where is this coming from? And I think part of it is, I think it you know, I've been with my girlfriend for almost four years now. And especially when you have a sibling who's poised to get married. Um, and alongside the fact that my girlfriend and I are talking about even, are, are beginning to talk about moving in together in a few months. Um, you know, I think I'm obviously in a place where I'm really evaluating our relationship and, um, you know, th- not, uh, not considering exiting it by any stretch, but I just mean, you know, this is the longest relationship I've been in, and this is the first person I have uh, would be living with. And, um, I mean, I'm sort of acting as if she and I are going to get married and have kids. But, you know, that transition from dating seriously to seriously considering building a life together, and, you know, you know, I'm just starting to think about what kind of conversations do we need to be having? You know, you know being vulnerable being vulnerable with somebody is not just going to the bathroom in front of each other, which I still have problems with, but, uh, not for her, but for me, like I'm uncomfortable going to the bathroom, uh, in her vicinity. But, um, you know, it's not just things like that. It's not, uh, just emotional. Um, you find that you feel vulnerable, vulnerable about all sorts of things, you know, talking about finances, talking about, uh, what, you know, um, seemingly practical things, but they're, I'm surprised at how uncomfortable these topics are to broach. Like how many kids do you want? Um, how much money do you want to make? You know, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's there. Jeez. I mean, I, you know, we talk about how death is taboo. Nobody talks about their own death. You know, but there's plenty of other topics that we just don't talk about in polite conversation. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think I'm connecting those dots because one of the classes I lead or one of my 
the classes I for these uh, trainees that we have, these volunteers that that uh, work at the agent uh, that come to volunteer at the agency I work for, I lead one of their trainings, and one of the tra- classes that I teach regularly is a class on death and dying, and it's just sort of a long form philosophical sort of structured philosophical conversation about death and dying and our ambivalence about death and the conversation of death and mortality and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, that's a topic that I'm actually really comfortable talking about. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it's for some reason it's, it's that topic that really, you know, like some people light up when they do crisis work. Um, some people love the idea of working with people who have a certain mental illness. Like some people love working with bipolar. Some people love working with, um, um, what's the word? Uh, oh, it doesn't matter. But the point is schizophrenics or sociopaths. Like some people, you know, they, for whatever reason, they feel called to work with a certain population. And part of it is just that arena of thinking is exciting to them. And for whatever reason, there's something about the conversation of death and dying that's, um, I don't know, really exciting to me. Um, and where am I going with that? Oh, yeah, maybe I was just saying something like, you know, that's a fairly taboo conversation that I'm really comfortable in. But then there's things like talking about your financial plans and your your financial status and, like, even something simple. Like, I was talking in therapy. You know, I think when it comes to moving in with someone, everyone has their own hang-ups, like maybe for some people it is going to the bathroom. So they want like their own bathroom or something like that. But for me, it's like the thing that really freaks me out is like, I want to live in a quiet place and it's hard for me to like advocate for that, you know, because my girlfriend's wired completely differently, which is like, I go over her place, excuse me, yesterday. Um, she had this thing that was canceled, so we had a couple more hours, and so I'm just going over there to do homework. And right when I show up, this fucking neighbor across the alleyway from her, I think is how you would describe it. Like, she lives in an apartment building, and so there's an alley separating these two apartment complexes. And this person who's, like, just across the alleyway from her just starts fucking playing piano, and it's just, like, amplified electric piano. And they have the windows closed and shit, but I'm just, like, so annoyed. And my girlfriend's, like, telling me about you know, she had a recent death in the family. She had a conversation with her mom and they were just sort of catching up. And, um, she's telling me about this and I'm so hyper focused on this person playing piano in the background and just kind of annoyed by them that I'm, I'm literally struggling to like track what she's saying, do you know? And, you know, I'm very lucky in the place I live now. Like sometimes there is ambient noise in the neighborhood. There's some construction. Um, like, I think some of our early episodes, there was something going on that was, like, really distracting for me. Um, at least once, probably a few times. But I was saying to my girlfriend, because we've been broaching the topic of, of moving in with each other more recently, you know, that would be a nightmare situation for me. Like, if she and I moved into a place where it was really loud, like, you could hear the neighbors, you know, that we had one neighbor who, like, played the drums every day or something like that, I would be a fucking grouch. Do you know what I mean? I would fucking be in the in the worst mood all the time. And that's fine. I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that. But, uh, th- you know, the, the thing that's interesting for me is that I feel that. I know that to be true. And yet, like, it's hard for me to... I feel, I feel guilty that that is the case. 
you know, part of it is that my girlfriend is wired so differently. She's completely fine with it. Um, I think with the shelter in place that she's spending so much time at home, I think she has become a little more sensitive to it. I also think there's, I think her seeing me get upset about it sometimes has kind of got her mind thinking, like has given her permission to be annoyed by it. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something, there's something to be said for being accommodating of other people, right? Like, Nobody can really control the thickness of their walls. You know, if you happen to live in an apartment where somebody's above you, you know, they should the people upstairs be sensitive? Yes, they shouldn't be fucking rolling bowling balls across the floor. But you're going to hear some noise. Okay, so that's reasonable. Um, you know, if a guy wants to play acoustic guitar in his apartment a little bit on a semi-regular basis, that's fine. Um, and she definitely has those bases covered. She's, she's perfectly fine. But I also think there's a wiring that we get in sometimes where it's not that we're not bothered by by what we're experiencing. It's just that it's easier to just let it happen than the alternative, which is, okay, well, what would it mean to actually do something about it? Oh, this annoys me. What would it mean to actually do something about it? And I feel this very acutely when I've spent the night over at my girlfriend's place. And there was a stretch of period where she had these people downstairs, literally two floors below her, who were loud as fuck. And they would like have music playing late in the night and they'd be laughing and joking and and you could just hear the echoes of this noise coming up through the alleyway. It was like they were fucking right outside our window. And I fucking, it made me so pissed for so long. But I just kind of like let it make me miserable and let it keep me up late at night instead of just walking downstairs and asking them to be quiet. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, again, my girlfriend and I's wiring are, are very different. You know, she can fall asleep with anything going on practically. But I think, yeah, I think her seeing me upset sometimes has maybe given her permission or whatever the word for that would be to consider like, Oh, actually this does kind of bother me. You know, what would it, what would it mean to, uh, Ooh, it's to want something. Yeah. I'm talking circuitously again. Like I was, you know, I haven't listened back to the last episode, but I remember when I finished, I thought, fuck man, that was like a confused kind of episode. And I don't know what we're going to talk about today, but I, I do kind of feel myself jumping around a little bit. But whether it's asking someone to be quiet because they're, the noise that they're making bothers me, or moving in with my girlfriend and feeling very personally like there's some things that if I had them, I'd be much more comfortable. There's something hard about wanting those things for myself. You know, as if I'm asking too much. You know, and when I just shoot from the hip and think, okay, well, what would moving with my girlfriend, I have no problem living with her, but what are the things that kind of scare me? It's like, I would want to live in a quiet place. I would want to live, um, I would want some space. I'd want some real estate for she and I, I would like to have a room that I could sort of retreat into, not a place I slept. You know, I don't want to, you know, um, you know, I'm not looking for my girlfriend to just be my roommate, but I mean, I feel like I would need a room that could be like my creative space, you know, that I could set up my practice pads in and sort of drum there or read or whatever the case may be. Like, you know, everyone says they're an introvert now, but like, I really need to be alone sometimes. So I would want a place that I could escape to or just sort of retreat into. Do you know what I mean? But wanting those things or even vocalizing them is, is hard. I think it's so easy for me to just look look to other people, see what their expectations for me are, 
or what I, not even what they actually are, but what I think they are and just be that, you know, just take direction from other people. And I see this all the time in my life. It's, it's, it's my girlfriend sometimes, but it's also like teachers, you know, like I'm baffled when I have classmates who like the teacher is stern and they're not overtly a dick, but you know, kids are just super upset that the teacher doesn't teach a certain way and they're sort of incredulous. Like, why is this person grading so hard? Why is this person doing this? Why are they doing that? And for me, I th- on the one hand, I'm, I'm happy about it, but I also think it's a, a product of low self-esteem, really. <laughs> but it's like, I look at the teacher and I say, okay, well, what does this teacher want from me? And I decide this is the standard that I must live up to for this person to like me, really. Um... Yeah, it's like, what does this person want from me? You know, what, you know, I think that people teach the way that they raise their kids, which is people, or st- let, me, let me try to word it this way. Teachers, if they had their druthers, I think, would like their students to behave in such a way that made their job the easiest. And it's not that they're not capable or don't have the capacity or it's part of the job to sort of you know, kids are different or whatever. But ideally, people structure their class in a way that works for them. And if all the students could get just get in line with the program, just get with the program of the class, um, that would make their job easier. Um, so there's something about the way a teacher has structured their class that they are communicating to you what they expect of you. And that's not a bad thing. But I'm trying to bring it back to parenting, which is, you know, people... Uh, not overtly, but covertly communicate, parents communicate to their children what they need them to be, you know? And, you know, parenting is going to be a challenge, but the way you interact with your children, the expectations you set for them, um, sometimes they're more indicative of what your capacity is or what you're capable of, you know? Like when I was raised, I remember all the time when me and my brother especially would go out we were praised all the time by waitstaff about our manners and how polite we were. And that was always a point of pride for me. And it still is. I mean, excuse me, let's not get it twisted. I like the fact that I can be polite. I get a sense of pleasure out of it. But folded into that is the pleasure of not being a hassle for that person. Do you know what I mean? Like you understand intuitively like, oh, other, you know, when, uh, a, a, you know, when a waiter says, oh, wow, your kids are so well-mannered, the other side of that coin is that other kids aren't and it makes their life more difficult. Do you know what I mean? And so there is like a pleasure out of making someone else's life easier. And I think you'll learn, well, you probably already understand what I'm saying, but it's to the point where, you know, let's say the server makes a mistake and brings you the wrong food. Well, because I don't want to be a problem, I just eat it. You know, I never complain. Do you know? And so pleasing other people becomes, you know, pathological almost, or you please other people to the, you know, and sacrifice what you, not just what you want, but what you're sort of entitled to. Do you know what I mean? And if the reinforcement or feedback that you're always given is, um, it's good to not 
take up space or to advocate for yourself or whatever the term you want to use is, you know, that's, uh, that gets reinforced, you know, and part of your wiring is to be a people pleaser, you know? And, uh, I have that, but I think part of, you know, as I get older, you know, I was saying to my girlfriend, I, I may have said it here too. I'm surprised at how oinery I am at the, in this chapter of my life. Do you know how annoyed I am with people? How I feel like a misanthrope sometimes. Like everything people, a lot, or I should say, a lot of what people do bothers me. And I, when I think about it, I sort of regret it because I remember being younger and getting positive feedback all the time. You know, like I was very eager to please people. And because I was willing to do that, I kind of went above and beyond to make other people happy. And it's how I ingratiated myself with people. It's how I ingratiated myself with teachers, with the adults in my life. I was just a good kid. You know, and that wasn't a concrete formed fixed thing. I I think it was more prismatic. You know, I became whatever the adult in my life sitting across from me wanted me to be. And there are certain people when I look back, I can feel like, oh, I had to work hard for that person. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like that person would have preferred me to be a certain way that was kind of counter to my nature. But, um, but, uh, you know, that was a bit of a stretch, but I, I got them in the end. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and it, and it's not, you know, it's not like, um, like, uh, you know, I had friends growing up who were pathological liars, although there was a, I mean, I do look back and I think, oh, wow, like there was this period where I just told a lot of tall tales about myself. And that was a big sign of insecurity. But I think, I don't know, maybe everyone goes through something like that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that I wasn't a people pleaser to that extent. I wasn't like a, you know, what do you call it? Like a poser or something like that. You know, I don't think it was anything as as conspicuous as... Like, I think we all look back and we we, we, knew, we know... Um, we know the kids who kind of wanted to be with the cool people, so they went out and wore the right clothes or something. And I'm not saying I was unpopular. I think I was a pretty popular kid. But I, 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 I might bet that people who went to school with me might have thought of me as an individual. You know, so I'm not. I'm not talking about like even with my social group that I was a people pleaser. You know, I mean, I was kind of a loner, honestly. I mean, I had friends I went to school with, but like I wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I, I maybe I was more of an individual. It was it was purely for the adults in my life. You know, I wanted them to like me. Yeah, and I don't know. I think I'm bringing it back to parent because obviously that was something I learned <clears throat> from the way I was raised. You know, to to uh, yeah, to not want things, to not be in the way. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, dude, you know, coincidentally, as we're doing this, there's some fucking noise going on outside that's beginning to destabilize my thinking here. I felt like we were on the, we were getting some good traction here, and all of a sudden there's some fucking hammering going on. Oh, man. I gotta tell you, too, I, you know, I didn't finish, or at the end of the last episode, I didn't feel super great about the conversation that we had, and... And also in therapy on earlier this week, it just was kind of a, I don't know, kind of a disappointing conversation. One, I don't think I brought much to the table. But maybe as the shelter in place has gone on, maybe we're kind of entering into a phase where, 
you know? I mean, I said myself, I'm starting to feel the effects of it. I'm sure my therapist is starting to feel the effects of it. Maybe you're starting to feel the effects of it in a way this week or in recent times that maybe you didn't feel right at the beginning. But especially in therapy, I think you're sort of hyper attuned to the psychological state of the person involved in the conversation. And I don't know, I feel, I feel that people are distracted, you know? I mean, I feel that when I work too, when I work the crisis lines, I mean, I've had to kind of give myself permission to, you know, maybe not get, maybe not even try to give. Well, one, I certainly don't feel like I have 100% to give, but, you know, to remind myself, you know, sometimes you show up and all you have is what you have. And, you know, I just have a shorter patience with people. You know, I hear other people talking about what they're experiencing and their stresses that are going on in their life. And I sympathize, but I'm also, my fuse is a lot shorter. You know, you do speak with, um, I mean, you do speak with over, like overtly combative people. Um, you also just speak with people who live with mental illness in a way that presents itself that can be in ways that can be challenging sometimes. And, um, you know, it's like working at a restaurant. Some customers are great. Some customers are high maintenance and, and, uh, it's some days you're up for it and some days <laughs> you couldn't care less, you know? And so I think as I navigate my own fatigue and my own anxiety it's it's been hard it's been hard being available to other people you know i mean they say a sign of depression is <clears throat> not finding joy in things that you formerly enjoyed and uh you know, it's not that I don't enjoy doing this podcast. I love doing this podcast. It's still one of my favorite parts of the week. Like I was at my girlfriend's last night and I, you know, I think because I've been so focused on work, I don't really know what day of the week it is most of the time as I'm sort of going about my, going about my day. But I remember we were making dinner last night and I remembered, oh, I get to record the podcast tomorrow. And that was exciting to me. But I have noticed, you know, about the only thing I have energy, part of it's, well, I was going to say time. I mean, I, you know, um, there's probably there's probably time for it for sure. But, you know, I have so much schoolwork and stuff. About the only thing I find myself doing with the podcast lately is just recording it and posting it. Um, meaning I don't, you know, I get it up on YouTube and stuff and I, and, and you know, but and it gets distributed to all the streaming services and stuff. But it's like, you know, pretty consistently I was... Uh, chopping it up into little segments and putting those up on the YouTube channel that we have. And I just, I haven't done that for like the last three episodes. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, maybe I feel that way with regards to work too. It's not that I'm not doing it. I'm doing it and I'm doing what I need to be doing. Right? Like what, you know, it's like the bare minimum for the podcast is record it and put it online. Now, would it be wise to do other things? Probably, but it's not really required. You know, it, does it make sense to promote the show? Sure. Does it make sense to maybe put up segments on YouTube and share those? You know, I would like post a new one every day to my Facebook page. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and now that I've done it, I feel like I, I have that expectation for myself. So it's weird to, to see myself not doing it, but I'm also just trying to say, fuck it, <laughs> you know? Anyway, maybe you have the same thing going on in your own life. 
sometimes all you can do is just kind of show up. I was saying to my girlfriend, though, it's, it's fucking mind-boggling to me sometimes just the amount of hours and time I invest to, uh, to do things I don't give a fucking shit about. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so many complicated things going on with my school schedule right now, I won't even go into it. But um, just in terms of being in the wrong classes, needing to take other classes that I was never fucking put into for some reason... Um, and part of that has to do with the schools, not knowing what the fuck they're doing with the whole shelter in place thing. But, um, I was just saying, you know, I'm basically trying to take care of a bunch of prerequisites, which are like science and math courses right now. And it means I just spend hours a day trying to understand chemistry, trying to understand trigonometry, shit I don't care about, you know, and it's so depleting, you know, I had this exam coming up on Monday, and I'm just spending huh, probably three hours a day studying, you know? Um, and, uh, I mean, thankfully, the scope scope of the exam is pretty small, so I just sort of, you know, it's like what I did with my chemistry test. I just sort of break it down into meaningful chunks leading up to the exam, so by the time I take it, I'm prepared. Um not that it worked for my fucking chemistry exam because I failed, but the point is that I just spend hours a day focused on stuff I don't care about. I'm just looking forward to a time where school, you know, I'm just taking more of the classes that I'm going to enjoy. Or even if I don't enjoy them, at least they play to my strengths. Like I'm taking this psychology class now that I had to do an online presentation for. I had to study some topic we could, you know, we could select from a series of topics and I chose corporal punishment. And I had to create this PowerPoint presentation and then film a, excuse me, and then film like a five minute, um, or mine ended up being like 10 minutes, but at least a five minute presentation sort of uh, presenting the slides or whatever. And I don't give a shit about corporal punishment, but I, it's like, as I was doing it, I know I was going to get a hundred percent, you know, which I did, but it was like, because I knew it played to my strengths, you know, whereas I'm spending 10x the amount of time or even 20x the amount of time on something that not only am I spending so much time on it I have no fucking clue if it's going to work out if it's going to pay off you know especially recently if you had asked me before this most recent exam I could have at least said you know yeah I'm stressed yeah I'm telling myself that it's not going to go well but at least every other experience I've had when I put in the time it pays off now I have this big fucking goose egg on my record of this failing this chemistry exam. And so it's made this last week more difficult knowing, okay, well, you got to put in, um, you know, you got to put in similar amount of time on this math exam that you have coming up and who the fuck knows if it's going to pay off. It should. You know, I'm reasonably confident that I'll, that I'll do well, but... Um, It's just disappointing for me to see how, I don't know, maybe overwhelmed I feel all of a sudden. Yeah, I feel, I don't know. Is it obvious to say I just feel, (laughs) I feel overwhelmed, I feel stressed? You know, I normally pride myself as being the type of person when everyone else is freaking out, I'm okay. 
But, um, yeah, I feel overwhelmed. And I, I do, and again, I feel stupid saying that, you know, I'm also a guy who write, like I was laying in bed talking with my girlfriend and, and we were kind of talking about this. She was saying, Hey, we should do something this weekend, you know, cause all we fucking do now, I'm working on Sundays now. So we really only get one full day together. And usually, you know, I'll come over, we'll kind of piddle around we'll maybe go for a walk we'll make dinner and then we'll watch TV for like three or four hours. Do you know what I'm saying? That's why we're watching all these shitty dating shows. But it's like, she wants to go out and do something, you know? And like everything that she suggests, like going for a hike, um, it's like, I'm, I'm like embarrassed that I'm like mowing everything down as a bad idea. And it's really only recently. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, when this first thing kicked off and right as the shelter in place was, um, being put into effect, I was the guy who was like going to the grocery store and while everyone else was freaking out, I was like, hey, let's not be fucking silly. Like I'm not going to lose my mind cause someone's not standing six feet away from me. Um, you know, I didn't want to be like chicken little, like the sky is falling. I thought, yeah, things are bad, but let's, let's be sane. And now as things have sort of played out, you know, I'm not freaking out, but I think the uncertainty of the situation has become more real to me. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe I was kind of in denial before and I think I probably could afford to be because I'm able to work you know? And, you know, for me personally, the shelter in place kind of, you know, again, plays to my strengths. Like we were talking about uh, my girlfriend who was speaking with a coworker who is an extrovert and legitimately for people who really value connecting with other people and seeing other people, this is a really hard time for them. You know, I had a coworker check in, check in with me. We're all working remotely, but we have this messaging system that we can communicate through. And, and I never really thought about it, but this person who's sort of like a, a extroverted person, always very funny, was saying, yeah, it's been really hard for me not to see people. And I thought, oh yeah, that makes sense for that person. Whereas for me, like I'm fine being by myself, you know, I, it, it, you know, I don't mean it in a, in a mean way. I like all the people I work with, but I don't miss seeing them. Do you know what I mean? I, I, it, it's just, I'm just not wired that way. Um, but for other people, it's very difficult. <clears throat> But I guess there's just a part of me that feels like, you know, prior to this whole coronavirus thing, I felt like everybody was so divided politically. You know, every topic of conversation was so divisive. And it was like all of a sudden this thing happened that affected everybody that not even drove a bigger wedge between all of us. It like erased all of the other conversations we were having. Do you know, like about, like now if people were to talk about identity politics and all that sort of stuff, it just seems like it doesn't matter. Or I should say not that it doesn't matter. It obviously matters, but it's almost like who can think about that at a time, at a time like this? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Where was I going with all this? I don't know. My girlfriend was talking about wanting to do stuff. Yeah. I'm just surprised to see myself being such a naysayer. Like normally on the guy who's like, oh, it's probably fine. Like, yeah, I know. They don't want people to go to the, you know, the parks are closed, but we could probably get on a hiking trail and be fine. But I'm also concerned to encounter other people. Like there's a part of me that, I mean, it makes sense. Oh, everyone's sheltering in place. It's probably a good time to go to the parks. I don't fucking think so, man. 
Like I still hear people, you know, Lake Merritt is an area in Oakland out here um, that people normally love to go to. And the weather is fucking beautiful. And I still hear from people who say, dude, I drove by Lake Merritt yesterday. It was fucking packed. And you're like, what the fuck? Now, is it as packed as it normally would be? Probably not. But notably, notably busy. You know, and like I said, I was the guy who was going through the grocery store like, I'm not going to be bothered by people not standing six feet away from me. But it's like now that it's mandated that everybody wear masks or some sort of face covering, you know, whether or not I would really feel the need to step off the trail as somebody was coming in the other direction, there's an emotional weight of like encountering other people. Do you know what I mean? Like, it sounds silly to say, but it's like when I walk around now with this face mask, it's, you know... I don't mean to sound precious about the whole thing, but nobody can see me smiling at them. You know, like I literally smile at people still. And they, and I realized, Oh, people can't see my face, <laughs> you know? So I literally have to like be audible to them. I have to say, hello. I have to give them a nod. I have to give them a wave to say, you know, I see you. Cause, cause otherwise I become like, even my gaze, like I avert my gaze from people, you know, like I, I feel like I'm back in this place where I walk on the sidewalk and it's like, everything is so fraught. So it's like passing someone on the sidewalk now isn't just passing someone on the sidewalk. There's this, do I acknowledge them? Do I not, do I not acknowledge them? Do I get off the, do I, you know, do I give way and give them the sidewalk? Is it that big of a deal? It's like, everything is so I don't know. Everything's such a... Anyway, not that any one of these things is big, but it's just like, you string all together, it's just like, fuck, I would prefer to stay home. And then there's this other opponent of like, well, I, 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 you know, I'm not scared of other people necessarily, but there's this whole added component of even my presence is potentially harmful for them. Like my girlfriend was like, our Airbnb is still open. And I said, oh, yeah, almost certainly. And it's not like I'm scared to enter a space. Like, I'm, I'm sure it's relatively clean. Like, I'm, I'm not like, you know, I'm not germ of, I'm not as much a germaphobe about connecting with other people. But I also feel bad because there is this added emphasis of, you know, they're saying the number of people that they test who are positive and non-symptomatic is, is alarming. You know, many of the people who are testing positive coronavirus aren't showing any symptoms. You know, so there's this added fear of, you know, me, <laughs> by the way, don't look up coronavirus. Like don't, whatever you do, and now you're going to do it, but don't Google, like, how does coronavirus kill you? Because we read the fucking longest article that described in painstaking detail, like what it's like to die of coronavirus and what happens. But the one thing that they kept saying over and over again is when you first get it, you shed, like you shed the virus at an alarming rate, especially within the first week or two weeks. So there's, there's this idea that you could have it and just be fucking just spreading it all over the goddamn place. You know what I mean? Whew. Not only does it, I mean, they, they're, we're talking about like everybody else is nuclear, but the idea that I'm nuclear. Scary. I mean, in a way, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with wanting to live in a quiet place. Half of what bothers me about hearing someone else's noise is the fear that they've now instilled in me that they can hear me. You know, so not only am I now having to navigate the noise that they're making, it's making me hyper-conscious of the noise that I'm making from now on. It's not just like, oh, I have to experience you. It's now you've 
raise my consciousness to absorb the fact that, oh, you could just as easily experience me. Dude, that's its own kind of stress. That's even more stressful for me. The idea that I could be nuclear, like, holy shit, that I could be giving this to other people. Like, you know, we all go through our lives and you know, not that there really is someone, but it's, you know, they talk about going to the, the, the gates of heaven and is it St. Peter who like has a log of your life or whatever the fuck it is. You know, let's pretend there is a cosmic uh, bookkeeper, right? And if you could trace the path of your life, how many people did you give the common cold to? How many people did you give the flu to? Uh, you know, how many one night stands did you have and that girl got a UTI or something like that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what if you... There are many of us who are carrying this thing and, you know, I'm not saying that we killed people to the extent that like we were intentionally careless and people and put people in harm's way, although there are, there's certainly that, but it would be like, like someone on a podcast was talking about this documentary, I guess, where they were trying to trace the, the source of HIV or there was some popular case. It was like a male porn star or something like that who had HIV and just worked in the business for like 15 years or something and infected umpteen amount of people. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think the point of the documentary was like finally confront him about this. But it was like, I just, if you, if you could know that, like, Hey, you had, you know, you were carrying coronavirus at this time and you went to X, Y, and Z places and you just trace the, you know, the butterfly effect of the butterfly effect of that, you know, to see the the events that that set in motion for other people, that probably led to at least one person's death, probably many more. Oh, it's scary. Although, if you really think about that kind of stuff, you're going to drive yourself crazy. I mean, technically any number of, I guess everything you do could potentially set the events in motion that led to somebody's death. Do you know what I mean? I don't know why, but I'm thinking about this video I stumbled on on Instagram. You know, I hit this, uh, you know, you have the uh, the magnifying glass feature. It's like the Explorer. Well, I guess that's the search feature. I don't know. I feel like when I click it, though, I still get like a, a bunch of stuff it wants me to look at. You know what I mean? Um, and it's usually just populated with what I'm looking at, um, which lately has just been a bunch of drum stuff. But all of a sudden, like you'll start watching something sort of aberrant, you know, like uh like a fight video or something. And as you're scrolling, it just starts, it's like, oh, I guess he's watching fight videos. They just start showing you more and more fight videos in a row. Do you know what I mean? And one of them was car accidents. <laughs> and normally that stuff makes me fucking disturbed. But for some reason, I, I don't know, I was watching these car accidents or whatever. And one of them was, uh, it was taken from what looked like an 18 wheeler that was stopped in a snowstorm on a highway. And because they were stopped and there was so much snow, people who were coming up to them could not see the, I mean, you literally couldn't see the traffic in front of you. And what was happening is people were uh, piling up basically in this car accident. That was just one car after another. And people were yelling and screaming, like do something. And the, and the truck driver was like, there's nothing I can do. But, but every like couple seconds, another car would sort of come out of the, the fog and just fucking slam into this pile of cars that was fucking 
hitting it. Do you know what I mean? And what does that have to do? I'm sure it'll come back to what we were talking about in a second, but it's also making me think about this one time, which coincidentally me and my girlfriend were talking about Facebook headquarters. And I was telling her like, oh, I've been to Facebook. I've been to Google. You know, I've been to all these kind of cool places. And part of the reason I ended up at Google one time where I was invited to go there was because I was playing shows down in Mountain View, California, which is uh, where Google is at. Um, but there was this place there called Red Rock Coffee. And, um, yeah, dude, Mountain View is actually like a cool goddamn area. Do you know what I mean? Like it was formerly nothing. And now that Google's there and other businesses are, have their offices there, it's kind of jumping off. It's like, you go down to this place, Mountain View, which is like, should have nothing going on. But when you're down on Castro street where Red Rock coffee is, and after your show, you get out and you just sort of walk around. There are bars and clubs with lines down the fucking sidewalk. It's crazy to think that a place like Mountain View is a fucking happening nightlife where, you know, Berkeley is fucking dead after 10 p.m. But the point is, is I was coming back from a show uh, in Mountain View, and it was probably like 12, midnight, one in the morning, something like that. And I was coming up to this overpass, this like highway overpass in this sort of dark area. And I think it was kind of foggy, you know, which is sort of typical of the Bay Area. And there was this... I had to like kind of swerve out of the way because there's an abandoned car in the middle of the freeway and it's already all smashed up. Like other people have already hit this thing and ostensibly continue driving because there's nobody else around. There's just the, uh, you know, um, there's only other, a couple other cars even in my vicinity. And I, I just kind of see people swerving left and right as they're coming up to this overpass or whatever. And I'm like, oh, there's something up here clearly that I can't see. And of course, when I get up to it, I see, oh, there's a car. So I, I, I sort of drive past a little bit and sort of pull over to the side of the road. And I'm trying to think, what can I possibly do to warn cars that are coming up? Because, you know, I was able to miss it because there happened to be other cars around me who I could see their brake lights sort of, you know, going around something in a sort of an alarmed state. So I was like, oh, there's something in the freeway. But as other cars are coming up, if, if you're the first car, if there's no one else around you and you're coming around the corner, you're not going to see this thing, right? You don't have the, the privilege of someone else uh, nearly missing it uh, on your behalf. And it was just kind of a powerless feeling. Like knowing, oh, here's this fucking, you know, very, da- like I remember, I'm sure I called Highway Patrol or, or the police or something and, and said, hey, there's a fucking vehicle out here. Um, but short of that, there was like nothing I could do. And I think the first thing I was thinking about that made me even my mind even go down that pathway is I was talking to my girlfriend last last night about just, you know, this idea like, wow, we're both lucky that we're able to work, you know, other than staying home. I mean, aside from the emotional component of it, my life doesn't look that different other than staying home all the time. Um, I'm able to go to school, I'm able to work, etc. But for some reason, as I was just describing... I think I was trying to articulate something about the uncertainty. Like, like, like I don't know how to word it except, you know, there's something about this and the way it's affected certain people. And this has affected people's lives in ways they just couldn't possibly have foreseen. And, you know, everybody can say things like, oh, well, you got to save money for a rainy day or that sort of thing. But, I mean, this is affecting people who've made, essentially have made all the right decisions in their life. You know, like I think to my last, uh, when I was working in restaurants, my last boss, this dude, Laurent, who owned a French restaurant in the area. 
that dude was a phenomenal guy, great work ethic. And I have no idea how his business is doing, but potentially, you know, if you had to shutter your restaurant, I mean, that could be the end of your business. Do you know what I mean? And something like this, I think I was trying to, maybe it's making me think of a car accident because like a freak car accident, you know, you don't necessarily have control. Do you know? And I was, and I was, I was talking to my girlfriend. I just remembered this time that me and my brother, I think I was on tour, like on the East coast. I had been like playing in New York city in Philadelphia with my buddy, Jeff Campbell, uh, who's a great musician that you should check out. Jeff Campbell. Um, and I think it was at the end of those shows, but I think my brother came and met us up in Philadelphia and then he was going to school in college park, Maryland at the time at the university of Maryland. And, um, and uh, we were probably driving from Philadelphia or something like that. And as we're driving down the road, some car just gets clipped, like just above us and to the right, and like kind of spins, fishtails, and like crosses three lanes of traffic into the center divider, which was like this sort of depressed, you know, when you have, uh, um, how do you say it? When you have like two lanes of traffic or on a freeway, sometimes they'll separate it by a divider, right? To, just to avoid these kinds of accidents, right? So the thing like crosses three lanes of traffic and goes down in this embankment or whatever. And it was the craziest thing because here was this like pretty serious fucking accident and thank God nobody was hurt. But it just, it just was a stark reminder of, dude, this could happen at any fucking time. You know, you don't have to be doing anything wrong to have a fucking cataclysmic car accident that changes your life forever. And there's just something about this current situation that feels like that. You know, it's not that you did anything wrong. It's not like you did anything to deserve it. It's not like, you know, you're now living in the consequences of all the bad decisions you've made over your life. Um, it just, it just kind of happened and it just kind of hit. And I think that there's something about, like, I feel like there's something about the current situation that's like, I'm in withdrawal or like, I don't know. My, my consciousness has been shaken or raised or whatever you want to say. Like, maybe I go back to this idea of control. And I feel like this is something we were talking about circuitously on the last episode. I was talking about, you know, people who are successful are upset or they don't, you know, they can oftentimes resent the idea of luck being a factor in your life. And I was talking about hard work and talent and all this thing as being necessary, but insufficient conditions for success. And it's actually interesting. I, I saw... You know, I, I think the example I was using last time was the comedian Tom Segura, who was in a conversation, I think, with Burt Kreischer, and they were talking about this. And Tom Segura was saying he resents the fact that people use the word luck because he worked his ass off and he's successful. And he feels like luck is something that people who have not been successful invoke to sort of make themselves feel better about their lack of success. And I struggle with that because as someone who didn't have a creative career, you know, the fact that I'm seriously considering that makes me feel like, oh yeah, that is just some sort of mental gymnastics I'm doing to sort of make myself feel better about the fact that I didn't, uh, that I wasn't able to quote, make it. But at the same time, it feels true. Do you know? And I was watching this video, like it's funny what YouTube shows you sometimes and it feels, I don't know, fortuitous, if that's the right word for it. But I saw George Orwell on the Dick Cavett show. And you're like, what the fuck? But it was like, one, Orwell, you know, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, obviously, Orwell's great, Citizen Kane, The Third Man, which I think a lot of people have seen, but, um, 
even if you're a casual fan of film, there's a decent chance you haven't seen The Third Man, which I highly recommend. And it has one of the best monologues in a movie. He's on like a Ferris wheel, and he, I guess, I, I, I guess the story goes is he made it up. And I don't remember the whole speech exactly, but he says something like, he says like peace is overrated. Like everybody wants a time of peace, but nothing gets done. And he says, you know, there, he points to one point in history and he says, things were crazy and they had war. And what did they make? They made math. They made arithmetic. They made this. They made that. They made that. And he points out another civilization and he says something like 250 years of undisturbed peace. And what did they invent? The cuckoo clock. Anyway, it's a great line. Um, you should, you should check it out. But, um, Orwell was talking about, um, his creative career and Dick Cavett was kind of, um, there was something so gentlemanly about their conversation. Dick Cavett was obviously a big fan, but there was nothing like sycophantic, you know, it was like, I don't know. Times were just different. You know what I'm saying? And Orwell, I guess he was crazy. And people talk about him as if he was profoundly insecure, especially about his weight through the years. Um, and he was rotund on the Dick Cavett show. I mean, he was a fucking huge guy, especially for the time period. But he was so intelligent and so poised and seemed so confident. And he was talking about something about talent and success. And I forget what they were talking about, but he said something. He said, oh, some of the most talented and brilliant people he's ever met are not successful. You know, and he, you know, he, he, he I don't know, he was, I think he was articulating like the, the idea that the cream rises to the crop is complete bullshit. Do you know? And that it just is the case in life that sometimes the most talented people you've never fucking heard of you know, cause they didn't get their break or they didn't get their chance. Um, so yeah, what am I saying? Uh, dude, I'm saying your boy could be a fucking un, unobserved genius. Dude, I'm an uncelebrated genius of my time. Do you understand that? <laughs> I'm a fucking dude. I, I, Orwell was talking about me, dude. Sometimes the most brilliant, talented people in the world, like your boy are uncelebrated. And dude, how lucky does that make you? Dude, you see it. You see the charms, dude. You see the gifts of your boy. That's why you like this podcast. That's why you keep coming back. And that's why you're keeping it a secret. I tell you guys to share it. I tell you to think of one person in your life who you think would like it. Let's grow this podcast. But dude, you don't want to do that. You know you got a good thing. It's like, dude, I watch all these, fuck, dude, do you see all these videos, like these YouTube ads that I see, which is these fucking young dudes who look like cucks, who look like complete fucking cucks who say things like, Hey, are you tired of doing this? Are you tired of working that? Do you want to make a passive income by, you know, and it's all like they wanted you to set up like an Amazon store. They want to show you the secrets of stock trading. And they just seem like a bunch of fucking losers who are like, just sign up now for my free course. And we're doing an online seminar and you know, you can get this download my free PDF. And for $49, you can take this class on stock trading. It's all a bunch of fucking bullshit. Why the fuck did I bring them up? Um, oh, dude, yeah, all right. The reason I know that dude's full of shit is if you had the fucking secret, dude, you wouldn't share it. Like, if you just knew the secret of fucking stocks and you were making money hand over fist, would you really be spending your time selling your secrets for $49 a fucking pop? Or would you just fucking buy an island in Antigua? Is that possible? You just fucking buy a private island and fucking live there. Do you know what I'm saying? Would you really be spending your time fucking shooting YouTube videos and making you fucking Google Google ads? Do you know what I'm saying? 
No, you wouldn't. You'd just be fucking spending your money. Or not, just sitting on it. Or you'd just be fucking putting it in a pile and burning it. Do you know what I'm saying? But that's you guys. Dude, you guys know the fucking secret. So, of course, you're not shouting it from the rooftops. Dude, you know your boy's a genius. You know he's got the gift. Dude, you know he comes with the fire with the podcast. And you don't want tourists. You know? Dude, this is like... We're in that phase of the relationship, which is like... You know, like, before a band blows up. Like, when Incubus got big, or when fucking Blink-182 got big. All the time, people like, oh, yeah, I like that band. I like their earlier stuff, though. You don't want to fucking see me on MTV with a big fucking produced video. You like my early shit. Dude, this is the offspring smash period of the podcast. You know, this isn't fucking Pretty Fly for a white guy offspring. This is fucking smash offspring. Like, I remember when I was in... Dude, some of you guys don't even fucking know what the fuck I'm talking about. But the fucking people who do know... When I was in, like, second or third grade, like, what the fuck? My brother had this friend named Mitch, who was actually, like, one of the few black kids that we kind of grew up with. And strangely enough, this dude, Mitch, turned my brother on to, like, bands like R.E.M. and Offspring. And, like, we had, like, this cassette tape of Offspring Smash, like, their first record, like, with Come Out and Play and all that fucking shit. And it was, like, that was, like, a pretty cool fucking record for us, you know? And, of course, the sh- I mean, the fact that we stumbled on it mean that they were probably getting a following, right? When these two fucking cracker-ass kids in Cincinnati, Ohio fucking have the Offspring Smash cassette tape, it, it, they're, probably making, they're probably making a wave somewhere, you know what I'm saying? But it was just like a record we had in isolation. Like, we didn't know anybody fucking else, especially in second or third grade who was fucking listening to Offspring, right? Like, people were still fucking li- listening to That Doggy in the Window and other songs. People were still singing Wheels on the Bus, and we're fucking singing Come Out and Play by fucking Offspring. Um, but, uh, but yeah, dude, and then they fucking blew up and were all over MTV, and it was fucking lame. Dude, that's what this period of the podcast is like, dude. <clears throat> this is that early shit. This is that early Counting Crows fucking August and Everything After period of the podcast. This is fucking Radiohead Pablo Honey, dude. Before Creep blew up, dude. Like, what else came out? What are some other underground records? Like, are there other bands that came out with kind of, like, low-key cool records and then blew up? It kind of used to had to be that way. Corn. I mean, that, that was another band that their first record came out, and you were like, oh, dude, we're on some shit. Now you go back and you go, oh, that band kind of sucked. But actually, their first record was pretty interesting, right? For the time, it was something pretty different. Yeah, dude, I feel like me and my brother lucked out. Like, we were turned on some fucking shit early. Like, Dance Hall, dude, that shit blew up, like, ten years after we got into it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we were listening to, like, Sean Paul and Bujibantan before anybody else fucking knew who the fuck they were in the States. You know what I'm saying? It feels like a gift when you have those things. Do you know? And, of course, dude, the fact, look, the fact that it got to us means other people were fucking listening to it, no doubt, but... Yeah, dude, it feels like a gift, too. You feel like, God, I was just into that thing. I didn't know anybody else who was into that, and I was fucking into it, man. That's you with this goddamn podcast, dude, because when we're fucking chilling with Joe Rogan, dude, when we're on that Joe Rogan tip with this podcast, you're going to be like, dude, I remember listening to this podcast when nobody was fucking listening. Dude, you will, you will, you will be able to say, dude, I listened to this podcast before he broke triple digits, dude, when nobody was fucking listening, or relatively nobody. There's a fair amount of us, but there's not a ton of us, right? Like, we're still in that gestational phase. Dude, but there is suck- there is something fucking, there's some virolo- virology going on here, dude, and we're shedding right now. Or maybe we're pre-shedding. Dude, this is the incubation period, right? 
we're fucking just incubating right now. And pretty soon this shit's going to go viral and just fucking shed. And you know what? You're the hosts. I'm incubating inside all you guys. Oh, this is getting weird. This is getting sexual. But the point is, is that you guys are onto something early. And you know what? That makes you fucking early adopters. And that makes you fucking cool. And when this shit blows up, you're going to be able to say, dude, I was there when it all started. I was there when it all started. Because I feel like, dude, if you get in, dude, if you get into this shit before the first hundred episodes, I know we got to find a way to verify this, you know, because I want to lop it off at 100. Everybody else is coming. I want other people to come off. But I feel like if you were fucking on this shit before episode 100, dude, you got to get something for that. Even if you disappear after that, it's like, like people who are like, oh dude, I saw Nirvana play at a small club in like 91, you know, they played for like 20 people. Like no one was there. Maybe you didn't even like it, but the fact that you were there, that's like your story. Do you know what I'm saying? Damn dude, you lucky ducks. You guys are going to be able to say that about the podcast. Oh man, that lucky duck period of the podcast. Dude, these could be the best days of our lives, dude. These are our salad days. And we don't even fucking know it. Here I am wanting to be bigger, wanting to have more to say. And this is going to be the, these are going to be the fucking episodes that when this shit blows up and you're like, oh, fuck that. He had fucking Madonna's podcast. Oh, that shit sucks. This fucking dude sold out. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be like, dude, I remember listening to the podcast when that dude didn't know what he was talking about. When he just kept saying, do you know what I mean? When he would stop talking because he didn't know what to say and the shit was all silent. And he would fucking just not know what he was going to talk about. Dude, that was the real shit. (laughs) That was the real shit before he sold out. Before he started talking about all the money he made in his private jet and fucking hanging out with celebrities, man. Before he married Natalie Portman. Dude, that's, I fucking listened to the podcast before that. <laughs> when that motherfucker was going to school. When he abandoned his creative career to fucking just start a podcast. Fucking was a crisis line counselor. I fucking knew that guy, man. I miss him. <laughs> Fuck this super rich guy hanging out with Ed Sheeran. Married to Natalie Portman. all right man i'm losing my fucking mind dude we gotta end it here thanks for listening you fucking early adopters dude you you lucky ducks you oh man anyway dude shout out to all the people staying home shout out to all the people taking care of themselves staying safe um yeah dude like i said all things considered i'm fucking blessed um, I want to tell you something about the phrase blessings that is an inside joke between me and my girlfriend, but I think you will skewer me if I tell you that. It's not very politically correct. So I'm just going to shut the fuck up and end our, uh, end the podcast here. Um, uh, if you want to connect with us, first of all, subscribe to the goddamn podcast. And if you want to share it, please do really think of one person in your life who likes it. Share the podcast and dude, give us a positive review on, uh, on Apple podcasts or iTunes, give us a five-star review, you know, write a couple sentences about what you like about the show and uh, share it. Um, if you want to connect, did I already say that? If you want to connect with our Instagram and Twitter, you can at this is mpod. And uh, if you want, stream my original music on Spotify. Yeah, just look up the artist name M, the heir apparent. That's the letter M, the H-E-I-R apparent and stream uh, the playlist Gentleman Caller that's featured on my profile. That's all my original music from 2019. And I actually just saw, dude, my most popular original song right now is called Help Me From There To Here. We're already over 300,000 streams, which is pretty fucking cool, man. Um, it's great. I think we're up to like, we, you know, we have about a quarter of a million monthly listeners now, which is pretty cool. So um, let's keep it going. Uh, anyway, 
You guys are awesome. Thanks for listening. Uh, Take care of yourselves, and uh, let's pick it up next week, shall we? Until then, thanks for your time, and ciao for now.